Well, again, hello, everyone, and welcome to this service. By the way, in welcoming you, I also want to say a particular word of welcome to those of you who've just gone through our membership class. We've actually got pictures of those who just finished this class. Believe it or not, it was our first online membership class. So I just want to thank these individuals for joining us and kind of officially becoming part of our church community. Also, I want to give you this update. As you know, our, our region is slowly moving to yellow. And for us, this is a time to take the first step in our reentry plan. And that first step is resuming meetings in small groups. So if you're a part of a small group, I want to encourage you guys to begin the conversation about what it looks like for you to, to resume meeting in person in, in a way that is really uh, safe and, and meaningful for all those involved. So we're, we're excited that we can now take that first step and there'll be more steps to come and we'll keep you informed about that. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me turning to Philippians chapter 1. We're continuing our journey through the book of Philippians. So as we get started, let me tell you a story really 20 years ago in my life. About 20 years ago, I had some friends who uh, were involved in a startup company. These were some really competent people that I knew, and they were involved in this startup that uh, had developed technology so that you could control your house remotely to control and monitor your home remotely. Now, I know many of us have systems like that. Maybe you've got something like a ring system on your home. It's, it's more common today, but remember, this was 20 years ago. And I remember when I had my first conversation with them about this startup company they were involved in, I thought, man, this is, this is amazing. This business is going to be so successful. Now, as they, as they launched this business, they just they poured themselves into it. Some of you have started businesses. You know what it's like. And they were so invested. They had such a great dream for this company. And, and things really got off to a great start. There were investors that were interested in participating. There were even large companies like Microsoft that had serious conversations about partnerships. Everything was going well, and then, then the unexpected happened. Even as we've gone through the unexpected over the last couple of months, you recall that unexpected event that happened almost 20 years ago. 9-11 happened. And after 9-11, the money started to dry up and, and investors became more cautious. And, and what had first appeared to be this company that was going to be an absolute success turned out to be just another failed startup. Have you, have you known that experience before? Ever have a dream die? You know what it's like to really throw yourself into something, a project, a relationship, a goal, and, and just to have it all fall apart. Maybe you're a student and you know at the beginning of the year you really set out to be part of this sports team or you're gonna make this uh, musical group or you're gonna be chosen for this leadership role and it didn't happen. Do you, do you know the feeling of having a dream die? If that's happened to you or if it's happened more than once, it, it may have caused you to become more cautious about investing yourself. It may be harder for you to kind of be all in when it comes to projects or goals or relationships. And if, if that's happened to you before, think now about the experience of the Apostle Paul. This morning, we're continuing our journey through this book of, of Philippians. As we do, we come to this autobiographical section that's in the middle of chapter one. And it's, it's actually one of the longest autobiographical sections in all of Paul's letters. 
The bottom line is this. Paul had this dream, this vision of of spreading the good news of Christ to the outer regions of the Roman Empire. It was a big, audacious goal. And as we come to this part of the letter, it, it it feels like the dream is dying. I mean, he's now stuck in a Roman jail cell. He's chained to a Roman guard, and he's not going anywhere. Yet right in the middle of this section, right in the middle of this autobiographical section, Paul says this. He says, I I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Once again, remember, he's in a situation where it looks like he's stuck. It looks like everything is falling apart, yet he's filled with joy. As it turns out, he's not simply someone who who wants to teach others how to experience resilient joy. This joy is actually at work in his own life. So the question is, how is this possible? (laughs) How is he not delusional in this moment? And and I think think the answer is found in one simple truth. And it's, it's a truth that permeates this entire section. And that truth is this. The gospel is unstoppable. I mean, how does he have joy in the midst of this chaos and uncertainty? He has joy because he knows, you know what? I'm part of something that will not be thwarted. My life is now part of a bigger story that is still on mission. The gospel is unstoppable. Notice uh, notice how he starts this section. Paul says this, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul knows that these people he's writing to in Philippi are concerned about him. They're concerned that he's now in prison, he's stuck, but he says, look, I want you to know that I know you're concerned, but this is actually serving to advance the gospel. In fact, he tells them, as a result of his imprisonment, the good news of Christ is now spreading throughout the Praetorian Guard. This would have been the most elite unit in the Roman military establishment. Furthermore, he says that because of his imprisonment, uh, other Christians are, are really being emboldened in their faith. They're being emboldened to embrace Christ and to share him with others. Now, he also acknowledges that there are people in the church that are opposing him, and I think that was for various reasons. But he says, even in the midst of that, the gospel is moving forward. The gospel is unstoppable. As this uh, this passage continues, Paul shifts his focus. You get to the middle of this section, and he tells them, he said, you know, through your prayers and through the work of, of the Holy Spirit, God is going to deliver me, either either through life or through death. And he says, in the midst of all this chaos, I I want Christ to be magnified in my body. And then he says, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's not sure what's going to happen, but he is confident nonetheless that ultimately God is going to continue to use him to encourage and equip those in Philippi. In fact, As you get toward the end of this section, here's here's what he says. He says, I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Now he says, look, even in the midst of this chaos, I'm confident God is going to continue to work in you, to be at work in your midst for your progress. And interestingly, this word translated progress is that same word that we saw translated advance right at the beginning of this section. So notice this, this entire section 
is framed by this idea. The gospel is at work. The gospel is spreading. The gospel is at work in the church in Philippi. The gospel is unstoppable. Now, I think as Paul writes this, uh, he, he isn't simply updating the Philippians on his experience. He, he also wants to encourage them. And I think in encouraging them, he wants to encourage us. In essence, he's, he's saying, look, I want you to understand the gospel is unstoppable. And, and I, want that, I want that to shape how you think. I want to shape how you approach life and how you engage life. And ultimately, Paul, I think, is also saying this. As you discover this in your own life, you will see over time that it builds resilient joy in you. Now, to show you what I mean, let me, let me show you three things I think that happen when we embrace the unstoppable gospel. First of all, when we embrace the unstoppable gospel, when we, when we allow the, the truth of what God is doing to truly saturate who we are, it strengthens our endurance. It strengthens our endurance. So once again, here's Paul, right? He's facing the harsh realities of prison and all the uncertainty that goes with it. And yet, He's not overwhelmed by his circumstances. He's able to rejoice. Why? Because he knows the gospel is unstoppable. Now, as, as you think about this, as you think about Paul's situation, let me ask you this personal question. What drains you of your endurance? Now, think about that. You know, so what, what drains you of your endurance? If we had that conversation, I think we'd, we'd have different answers that we could put on a whiteboard of things that drain us of our endurance. But let me just suggest one thing that, that will drain you of endurance. And that is this. We're, we're drained of our endurance when we feel like that ultimately what I do really doesn't matter. Right? I mean, think about this situation we've been going through over the last few weeks. Uh, in the course of this experience, some of you have had to do online classes maybe for 10 weeks or so. And, and let's be honest, some schools have been better at doing this than others. Some teachers have been better at doing this than others. And it may be the case that if you're a student somewhere in the midst of this, it really, it really dawned on you. You really realize, you know, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter if I watch the videos. It really doesn't matter if I do the homework. None of that really matters. Well, if you came to that realization, if that was your experience, that that just drains, it drains your energy, it drains your motivation, it drains your endurance. I mean, it's hard enough to do online classes as it is, but if it feels like it doesn't matter, well, what's the point? But I think the, the example of Paul's life tells a different story. The example of Paul's life said, you know what, as a follower of Christ, your, your life really can make a difference. He's showing us, you know, as you embrace the gospel, as, it, as you allow it to, to shape who you are, to shape how you engage relationships, school, the workplace, your community, as, as that is at work, you, you really become part of something bigger than yourself. You become part of something that will not be thwarted. And that means your life really does count. It means your life really can make a difference, even in ways you don't fully understand at the moment. And so as you embrace the unstoppable gospel, it, it will foster endurance. Now, Paul's not denying that 
following Christ can be challenging. I mean, he's, he's fully aware that, that being a follower of Christ and taking that seriously will stretch you. It will challenge you. It, it challenges our comfort. It challenges our convenience. It, it challenges our complacency. Interestingly, even in this section, when Paul describes his, his own work, he says, this will be fruitful labor for me. Notice that, fruitful work. It's not fruitful convenience. It's not fruitful complacency. It's fruitful work. The journey of Christ can be hard because in the journey of Christ, uh, the, the journey of following Christ, can, it, it stretches us. It challenges us. When God is at work in our lives, he's moving us beyond our selfishness, beyond our self-sufficiency. He's moving us into the lives of others. That's exactly what happens in Paul's experience here in this letter. That, that can be hard. It can be messy. It can be painful. It could be work. That's exactly what Paul says, but it's fruitful work because God is with us every step of the way and his mission will not be thwarted. The gospel is unstoppable. And so as I grab hold of that, it, it strengthens my endurance. I think another thing it does is this. As we embrace the unstoppable gospel, it sharpens our focus. Now put yourself in, in Paul's situation, right, for a moment. So here you are in this prison. Um, your future is uncertain. Furthermore, you've got, you've got some concerns about this group of Christians, this early church that is thousands of miles away. You would really love to be with them. You'd really love to meet in person. But you can't. All you can do is write this letter. So what, what would your mind be focused on? Where would your focus be? You know, I don't know about you, but I've got to be honest with you, in that situation, it would be easy for my mind just to race in all sorts of directions, all sorts of what-if questions. Like, you know, so what is my fate going to be? What if, what if I don't make it out of this prison? What should I put in this letter? How can I convince them to take wise steps? What if they don't respond well to this letter? And I, and I can't be with all those kinds of questions. And interestingly, when I put myself in that situation, I find myself gravitating to focusing on that which would be beyond my control. Because do you ever do that? I mean, does that ever happen to you? You find yourself in a situation that's surprising, and, and over time, your focus seems to be consumed by all of that which is outside your control. Does that happen to you? Maybe it's happened during this, these last couple of months, right? Because part of what we've lost is control. We kind of came into the season. We had all these things on our calendar. Now they've been crossed off. Even as we look forward to summer, there are probably things on your calendar, things that, coming, that are coming up, but there's, there's a little question mark behind them because you don't know what's going to happen. And, and if we're not careful, our mind is consumed by all of those things that are outside our control. However, even in the midst of all this chaos, that's not where Paul's focus is located. Notice what he says. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. It's like Paul is in the sea of unknown, the sea of complexity, and he says, in the midst of all this chaos, here's my focus. I want Christ to be magnified in my body. I want all that I do even in the midst of this uncertainty, to reflect the character of Christ. Now, just think about that for a moment. What, what if we did that right now? What if even this day, kind of in the midst of all that's going on, you said, you know what? 
moving forward, I just, I want my life in the midst of all this uncertainty. I want it to reflect the character of Christ. Well, what would that look like for you? What, what might a next step look like for you? Would, would your next week look differently if, if you really took this seriously? You know, as, as I was wrestling with this question this week, and, you know, what does it look like for, for me to truly engage Christ as my focus in the midst of all this, to reflect the character of Christ? I did find myself being challenged by the truth that when, when I seek to live out the character of Christ, I've got to be careful about some of the things I say. In the midst of all we're going through, I can find it easy to complain, to whine. <laughs> I can find easy to be frustrated with people who are approaching this differently than I am. I can find it easy just to talk about the people that I think should be blamed in the midst of all this, but, but that's not the character of Christ. In fact, even in the next chapter, Paul says, look, I want you to do everything without grumbling or complaining or arguing. So I think Paul's example um, is encouraging us to stay focused, even in the midst of chaotic situations, on the reality of Christ, to find your kind of your, your direction, your sense of meaning, identity in the midst of this new relationship that we have through Jesus. Now, there's one other thing I, I, I want to highlight for you, and that is this. I think when we embrace the unstoppable gospel, it challenges our perspective. It challenges our perspective. As, as Paul describes his commitment to honoring Christ, here's how that passage continues. This is a very famous phrase. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, what, what, exactly, does, what exactly does this mean? Well, first of all, he says to live is Christ. And, and what he's saying is, you know, my life is now defined my, by this new relationship. It's this new relationship that's giving me focus. It's giving me purpose. It's giving me meaning. But Paul is also saying, but, but there's more to come, right? And to die is gain. Now, he's not saying, you know what? The world is a horrible place, and I just want to escape it as quickly as I can. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is this. You know what? God is already at work through the person of Jesus Christ, and yet, and yet there's more to come. We, we know Christ partially now. One day we will know him fully. We know him partially now. One day we will know him face to face. Paul is saying, you know what? Christ is at work now, but the best, the best is yet to come. And here's how I think this, this perspective can challenge our perspective. I think for some people, there's the understanding, you know what, Christianity really boils down to this. It boils down to uh, receive Christ's forgiveness and go to heaven when you die. But you know what, Paul challenges that perspective. Paul says, no, to live is Christ. Christ is at work now. Following him starts now. It's not just about going to heaven when you die. But there's another way this, this, this phrase can, can challenge your perspective. I think for some people, maybe this is you, for some people there's the sense that this present life is really all there is. Charles Taylor is a very influential scholar of the last generation. He's done a lot of writing about the present age in which we live. And one of the things he's noticed is this. He says that many people in our era live with a sense that our, that our earthly existence is all there is to life, that life really just ends when we die, that that's it. And he says, when you approach life that way, 
you're vulnerable to a certain, what he describes as malaise. He calls it the malaise of modernity. And the malaise of modernity is this. It's, it's the nagging sense that there's still something more. It's the nagging sense that I'm still missing out. It's this nagging desire for transcendence, even if I don't believe in God. And, and maybe, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you know that longing. In fact, maybe this experience over the last few weeks has just deepened your awareness. You know, I think there's something more to life that I would like to discover. And if, if that's the case, I think Paul would say to look, you, look, you need to understand God is already at work now through the person of Jesus Christ. And he invites you to become a follower by putting your faith, your trust in him. But furthermore, he would say, and not only is he at work now, one day he's going to bring his rescue plan in its final form, the new heavens and the new earth. And truly, the best is yet to come. And I think for Paul, the reality is this, this deepened perspective gives him just, a, I think, a deeper awareness about how to engage life. It gives him a deeper foundation in which to build his life because he's aware that, you know what, God is at work now, but there's still more to come. Let me, let me just kind of give you an example of, of what this looks like and how it shapes us. So our, uh, our middle son, John, recently finished his undergraduate degree at Baylor University in Texas. And uh, like many things, his graduation was canceled. He was supposed to graduate two weeks ago, but that was canceled. Now, I've got to give Baylor credit. One of the things they did do on that day, they put, they put all of the names of the graduates on the scoreboard at their football stadium, McLean Stadium. And th you know, this was a nice touch. I thought this was really cool. But of course, it, it doesn't substitute for what we missed. It was a disappointing day in many ways. But here's what made the day different. <laughs> the day was made different because the university announced they will be having a graduation in August. We went through that day knowing that the disappointment, the frustration of that day is not the end of the story. And I think in a similar way, Paul approached his life with a recognition you know what? God's already at work, but there is still more to come. And that became a revolutionary perspective in his life. So once again, here's this guy. He's stuck in the middle of a challenging situation. He's stuck in the middle of a situation where it feels like the dreams are dying. And yet in the midst of that, he's becoming an individual characterized by resilient joy. And the reason is simple. He's embracing the unstoppable gospel. He's embracing the truth of the good news of Christ and allowing it to, to shape him and, and mold him in a certain way that it is strengthening his endurance, even as he faces hardships. Not only is it it's strengthening his endurance, it's sharpening his focus. And even in the midst of chaos where your mind could go in lots of different directions, and it's deepening his perspective because he's living with the recognition that even though God is at work now, the best is still yet to come. That's the power of the unstoppable gospel. So my question to you is simply this. Do you know this unstoppable gospel? 
And even in the midst of all that we're going through right now, are you embracing this unstoppable gospel? Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we come to this section of the book of Philippians, we're reminded of, of the life of the Apostle Paul. And I pray that we'd be challenged that in the midst of all this chaos and uncertainty, he is an individual who is experiencing resilient joy. And Father, at the root of that, foundational to that, is that his life is being shaped by the gospel that truly is unstoppable. So now, as we prepare to enter summer, as we're continuing to experience a situation that in so many ways is beyond our control, a situation with so much uncertainty. Father, may we be grounded. May we embrace this good news as well in such a way that it fosters joy, even in the midst of the chaos. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.